Hello, everyone. A very quick one from me. It would be a massive help to us with our ambition to help as many recruiters as possible achieve their goals and also inspire the next generation to choose recruitment as a career if you hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're someone that prefers to learn in a visual way, we've also recently invested a lot in our video podcast experience. So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Hisham Azuz, and on this week's episode, I was joined by Rob Leg. Rob is the classic recruitment story of someone who started out, worked extremely hard after some adversity, not billing in his first four to six months. Since that moment, he has been the back-to-back top performer at DevelopRec. He's worked there for nearly 10 years, just over eight years he's been building his career there. His best performing year to date is 989 grand. He's always done some perm, some contract, and in this conversation we really break down how Rob has continued to grow, how he's continued to build on his performance year after year. What has he doubled down on? How has he enabled to continue to refine his craft? Why he's always open to learning? So much to take away from this conversation for any of you who are aspiring to be the top performer within your business. Enjoy this week's episode. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, making the trip. Obviously, you uh, now live in Southampton. Portsmouth. Portsmouth. As a Southampton fan, I should never admit that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, moved to Portsmouth two years ago. Yeah, nice. Looking forward to breaking down this journey that you're on. Obviously, eight years with DevelopRec, eight years in recruitment. Yeah. So we've got a lot to unpack. I think why I'm really excited uh, about this is I feel like your journey sort of epitomizes what's possible in recruitment. You know, when you work hard when you have those interviews and say, look, we've got this person that's done this, they've started where you are, they've yep. you know, climbed the ranks. So we're going to talk a lot about you know, how you think you've continued to get better at your craft. So just to give people the, the career highlight reel, um, you let me know if I'm missing anything important here. Mm-hmm. So firstly, performance-wise, so first year uh, you did eight, 87 grand, second year 98 grand, third year 148. Yeah. Then three two four, mm-hmm. then four five seven, mm-hmm. then five two four, yep. and then nine eight four, and yep. that was your best year. Yeah. And then up until recently, you've always been like dual desk, permanent contract. Mm-hmm. And then I can't remember what you said uh, in terms of like typically the split along that journey. Is it been like fifty fifty? Is it been sixty perm to contract? Probably more seventy thirty towards perm. And then thirty percent contract. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then uh, I know for a long time you was very much you know, an individual contributor, mm-hmm. but then 2018, you start to mentor people. Yeah. 2019, you then, um, you know, became a team lead mm-hmm. at the highest point is managing 16 people, which is crazy. Then, uh, you know, have, I think now around a team of eight people, right? Yeah, that's correct. Cool. And then just to break down his best performing year then, cause I think people are always interested in like the sort of makeup of it. Yeah. So again, let me know if any of this is wrong. Mm-hmm. 
but I think you said 40 perm placements, yeah. 27 contract placements, yeah. across five clients in contract, yeah. and then on the perm side, 19. you had 19 perm clients, yeah. and only six of them you did one placement with. So yeah. There's a lot of repeat stuff. Yeah. I think you put down, you worked really hard to have three key perm clients, and then the average deal was around 11 grand. Yeah. Majority of it was contingent, but then there's other models as well that you do around 70%. Yeah, we do a lot of product focus yeah. selling as well. That's the career highlight wheel, mate. I mean, Sorry to break that down in like a minute because it's like there's so much hard work that's gone into that. No, I, I, no look, you know, it's uh, over eight years, putting it into that one minute, it sounds crazy, doesn't it, really? Yeah, but so that's the real, like, you know, real, like I said, like just that classic journey of like just consistently getting better, yeah. staying in the game long enough yeah. to reap the rewards of all that hard work over time. And then I guess just to round that out then, so your market has always been .NET. Yeah, yeah? .NET, yeah. So let's start with the million pound question then. What do you believe are the, the common characteristics and traits of a top performing recruiter in, in today's market? I think there's always like the buzzwords that get thrown around a lot. So like resilience is one. This job is difficult. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. I think people have to be able to uh, take the knocks and dust themselves off and learn from it. But like what I look for in people really is ability to learn, emotional intelligence, communication skills, be able to positively challenge people as well. Mm. But I just, like work ethic is massive, right? <laughs> you've got to, you've got to put the graft in. Like my first three years, I just worked so hard. I mm. didn't care about what else was going on in the office and never got distracted during my sales sprints. I wanted to learn from the best people and sit with the best people. Just acted as basically a sponge for that that first year. Got a, a really good framework in place, and then started to add my own colour to it. So there's loads of stuff, and I think it's all kind of dependent on the person and your selling style. But mm. there's some real key ones in there that, that are super important for us to look out for. I think eight years is a long time. So let's just. I think I want to go into the the key bits that you think has been fundamental to helping you like complete uh, continue progressing yeah. your performance but yeah. have to start with first six months you didn't do a deal mm -hmm. so looking back what was the fundamental things that maybe you felt like you were doing wrong looking because you you maybe pick up on this now and you manage people mm. like looking back was it anything that you think fundamentally you're like i just didn't quite get this or i really struggled with that i think because i didn't r really have any kind of sales background i came from a customer service focused background previously. I used to work for an e-commerce business doing that. So that sort of transition from making everyone happy to sort of being able to positively challenge people was something that I learned pretty quickly. I think I got really unlucky in the first six months. Mm. I know there was other people that were doing, weren't working as hard as me, that were doing deals quicker than me. And that was frustrating. But ultimately I was driven because I'd moved to London, <laughs> taken this job and a massive rent that I just simply couldn't afford. So it was like, I had to make this work. But yeah, I look back at it now and think there's probably a, a big element of just getting unlucky with with certain situations. I had offers out there. I had a placement dropout, but I think actually that helped me mm. moving into my career later on because I think I've often seen people get success early in recruitment and then kind of think, oh, this job's actually pretty easy. And you get a kind of a, almost a bit of a false economy for it. So failing... Failing early was, was really good for me, I think, in terms of my, my development. So that being a bit of a blessing? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because you are right, I think, I guess there's pros and cons, right? It's great to get like a, a win quite quickly. It's tough to, yeah, be blanking every month, seeing people around you um, doing deals. But then, as you said, 
I think the real challenge of, and I've spoke to so many people where they did get success quickly, but almost they that sort of set them up to fail. Because then when mm. they had those periods of like, it was really difficult, they're still learning their craft. They then blanked for a couple of months. Mm. They really find that hard to take because they've got the the previous success stories to look at. Go fucking hell, like what I was I was doing this yeah, previously. Yeah. yeah, and it's um when you're still in your sort of infancy of your recruitment career, you those knocks are harder to take, I think. You get a bit more thicker skinned as you mm. get on with it, I think. So curious to get your thoughts on this. I don't know how many people have sat down that, I haven't sat down with loads of people that have a dual desk. Okay. So what's like fundamental to, you know, being a world-class dual desk recruiter? Cause that, I just feel like that must be difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not, it's definitely not easy. And I think, the way that we've always ran dual desk is that we'd either focus on one or the other. Right. And then you kind of almost stumble upon options. In, so I always used to basically predominantly chase perm leads. And when I'd get into a position where, say, for example, someone had had a .NET developer vacancy open for six months, they've got challenges across the role for various different reasons. That's a great opportunity to sell back a contractor because a lot of people at that stage, it's impacting projects. So I need to get someone in there. Mm. So then you get a good contractor in there and then what ends up happening is they still want to hire the perm, but that contractor has been great. So they just extend them time and time again. Mm. We've also been super fortunate that we've got some big accounts that mm. both myself and Joey and Kev and the business have won and hire a lot of contracts in, in that dot net development space. So I've, I guess I was fairly fortunate that there was probably one or two when I joined that would hire a lot of contractors and needed someone to deliver into that and then just naturally started to, to work in that. In Do that you space. find it difficult to like switch from, is what, what's like fundamentally the same, would you say, from the permanent contract side? I mean, sourcing is the same, but the yeah, you, there's a bit of a shift in how you would run a qualification for permanent contract. I mean, contractors... They don't typically care too much about the culture or mm. the team or, you know, there's no benefits and things like that. They're, they're really just keen to know what technology and the projects are. So, yeah, when when you're running those qualifications, everything moves at a, a much faster pace with contracts. Like our average time to hire on contract was 24 hours. On perm, it was 2.6 weeks. Mm. So, like, we knew that if we found a great candidate, we had to get them placed the next day because otherwise we were going to miss out on them. So, mm. and I think there's a massive relationship building session to both, but in different ways. Like for contractors, you want to understand, you know, what they're looking for in projects and then what what their end date is on their current project so that you can get ahead of it, get to people before they become active on job boards or, mm -hmm. or LinkedIn. Obviously with permits, typically you're looking for people that maybe they're more passive, like already in jobs. And so you need to understand exactly what their dream company looks like. So yeah, it's... It's fundamentally the same, but mm. there's um, nuances with it, I think. I've heard a lot of, I was on a call yesterday, it was onboarding a new recruitment company, they were saying about, like, they have this, like, top performer, but mm. they're really trying to encourage them to, you know, expand their accounts, Yeah. you know, tee up other opportunities for the team. Yeah. And particularly, that was around, like, the contract element, because they have a contract team. Yeah. So, like, I think a lot of people, if they have that environment, they might have a contract in the perm team. Yeah you know, there's a real opportunity to cross-sell. Obviously, mm. you're ultimately doing that for yourself. Yeah. So, like, what have you found to be the key when it comes to, because I'm sure you might have even had, you know, your manager say, right, Rob, 
are really wanting to be pushing if they you know you speak to them about like you're chasing perm leads and then it doesn't um they you then figure out actually these are their pain points i'm going to talk about contractors mm. i think sometimes i don't know from what i've taken people can struggle with that so what would you say is like really key if you want to get really good at okay i might lead with perm but then if i see these certain things or i hear these certain mm. things yeah, yeah i then switch to okay well how about this solution? I think it comes down to knowing how you're going to solve that client's problem. Mm. So if someone comes to me and says, look, I need to get someone on this project by next week, feasibly, I'm not going to be able to get them unless I get really lucky with someone that's come out on redundancy or just caught them at a good time. Realistically, a contract's going to be the best solution to that problem. Mm. So I think it's like, that qualification piece is so important to find out, right, okay, what does this person need to solve their problem? And then I'm going to use my expertise to say, this is your best way of solving it. Mm. So if I need to get someone on that project tomorrow, it's going to be contract. If it's like, right, well, I need someone longer term because I need someone bought into the product and into the vision of the company, is contract going to be the best option for them there? Probably not. But mm. can they can they wait for a perm person? So, so it's, it's hearing those sorts of cues. Yeah, yeah during that qualification process, so important. So one thing that I wanted to start with, because when we prepped for this, something that really stuck out to me was you said organisation and prep Mm -hmm. is the key to recruitment. Yeah, I'm a firm believer of that. Talk me through that. So the way that we're set up at developers, we run sprints. So we're super strict with the, the time and the activities that we do during that time. And I've seen, you know, I've only ever had experience of working with developers. I only really know one way and I feel our way works well. Um, I've seen people that have come from other business businesses where it's just like, do you know what? Do what you got to do and, and make it happen. I think without structure and organisation, that's really, really difficult because you're spinning so many plates. There's so many things that you need to do and it's so easy to get distracted. So unless it's money critical, my guys won't do anything outside of their sprint hours other than the activity that we're, we're set out to do. And I think that creates a really nice collaboration piece between the team that we're all doing the same activity at the same time. Mm-hmm. Kind of get that sort of real camaraderie of like when people are in it in a business development sprint, they get a knockback or, you know, you can kind of put a bit of an arm around people or if they have a good call, you can celebrate small wins and forward actions and things like that. So yeah, organisation and prep is something that I drill into the team. I'm very like methodology and process driven and I think, that's been one of the keys for how successful I've been is the amount of time that I invest outside of my core selling time mm. to go and make sure that I've got a brilliant candidate list of people that I want to speak to. I've got calls booked in my business development sprint. I've, you know, I'm following up on, on my leads that I've either specced or invites mm. to events and podcasts or mm. whatever it may be. I've always got stuff to follow up. So it's not, doesn't feel like cold calling. It feels mm. like, right, I'm actually... I've got a reason to speak to these people. So let's break this down. And how do we run a successful sprint? Because I'm sure like that's been a journey for you. Sometimes I'm sure some weeks you think the sprints were mega this week. There'll be some weeks that they were shit this week. How do we, for managers listening? Yeah. Like firstly, just interested. We'll go into like how you think you set that up to like have the, the best chance of it going really well. But like if we were to look at the week then, how many sprints are there in a week? How do you break that down? A very quick one before we get back to the conversation. I wanted to talk to you all about one of our podcast sponsors, One Up Sales. So let's just talk about the crucial aspect of any successful recruitment business, data visibility and accountability. Are your consultants reaching their targets? Where can they improve? 
You need clear, comprehensive, and timely data to answer these questions. That's where one-up sales comes in. Their cutting edge sales performance management platform provides you with real-time data visibility, helping you track performance at a glance. OneUp Sales doesn't just show you the numbers, it tells you the story behind them. This increased transparency not only enables you to take more informed decisions, but it also fosters a sense of accountability among your consultants. With clear visibility, they can take ownership of their performance, learn from their mistakes, and continue to strive to improve. So turn your data into an accountability tool, connect your CRM with OneUp Sales, and always be in the know. Because you listen to this podcast, you're able to get your hands on an exclusive offer for one Sales, which is a 10% discount on the user price. So if you haven't already, check out how one Sales can enable you to hold people accountable, have way more visibility in your data. It's well worth checking out. Now let's get back to the conversation. So we do four sprints a day. Four uh, sprints a day. Yeah, so two phone sprints, two digital sprints. And then obviously we have time, about an hour's time for doing admin. So how long are the digital, how long are the sprints? Two hours. We found so, that, so I used to play around with the times a little bit. So yeah. we tried three hour sprints, but I think people start to lose a bit of, um, you know, you get distracted and uh, lose a bit of focus after that sort of time. I did one and a half hour sprints, but I felt like we were always extending it by an extra half an hour to get the extra right, calls yeah. that we needed. Because so, what, so if you do four sprints then, so what does that look like in the day, the time slots? Yeah, so we basically, we start half eight, we do a stand up, we talk about what our non-negotiables are and, mm. and what we're planning to do for the day. Nine o'clock to 11 o'clock is our first business development sprint. Yeah. 11 to one is then our follow-up sprint to that because typically when you've done a phone sprint, you've got lots of actions off the back mm-hmm. of it that you need to follow up on. Yeah, then we have lunch, kind of do a bit of prep work. We do a little stand-up again and sort of like get together before our candidate sprint, talk about what we're looking to achieve. So two till four is our candidate sprint and then four till six, we'll do our digital sprint and that will include any kind of admin, booking interviews, mm. interview feedback, that kind of stuff. So yeah, it keeps it pretty simple then, doesn't it? So like how do managers run a successful sprints? I think the key to it is making sure everyone's set up and on board. So we do, it's still a work in progress for us. I'm not saying that we've yeah, nailed it at all, but um, I think we've got loads better with it where we're publicly holding people accountable to what they say they're going to achieve. I do a lot of stuff where show and tell me basically with like, let's look at your call list. Let's look at your prep work. If it's not where it needs to be, then I know that I can run a surgery session or a coaching session to say we could do this. Or, you know, if we're having problems with your Boolean or that, you know, your digital touch points, not good enough, you're not getting responses from staff or you don't have a, a, a decent list. then we need to look at that so that we can rectify it. And then it's like, Right, okay, well, we use Slack and we're pretty vocal on that across the team and, and sort of encourage the team to add their wins as we go so that it kind of, if someone's having a bit of a bad sprint, you can say, look, it's only going to take you one more call to get that perfect candidate mm-hmm. or get a client on the phone and a decent forward action. So so where do people normally fall short? Is it the prep for the sprints? Prep is the the big thing I think people fall short on. I think it's sometimes difficult to manage sprints from home. Like we run a, a hybrid working policy. So when people are at home, you have to be super self-motivated to do it by yourself. You know, it's easy to get distracted by other things going on at home and things like that. So yeah, that can be challenging. But mm-hmm. I think the beauty of what we do, obviously we've got all these analytics platforms that give us a, an overview. And it's really easy for me to be able to see how well my team's morning's been mm. based on what's going into Bullhorn, what's going into Cube, what wins we're celebrating, mm. 
and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we try to avoid being like, we don't want to be like big brother, but I think at early stages, if you... If that's the way that you're working, then yeah, yeah, we've all agreed that this is the best yeah. way for us to be as productive as possible. Yeah. If they haven't done the sprint, then you have to hold them accountable yeah, yeah, to Yeah, of course, yeah. And so, look, all the guys, we, we did our kickoff last year and I spoke to my team and said, look, you know, what, what do you want me to do more of? And they were like... I want you to get back to, I'd stop sharing phone time and dials and all that kind of stuff beforehand. And they were like, I want you to get back to that until we get back to where we want to be from a performance point of view. Mm. So all of them asked me to do that. You know, whether they like that every day or not is a, is a, is a different story. But I think, you know, sometimes to be a good manager, you have to tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And then I know we're getting granular here. What does good prep look like for a BD sprint? Like what should I have with me ready? Yeah, what does good prep look like for a BD sprint? So from my point of view, you've run a really solid BD digital touchpoint process beforehand. So either you've got a list of 40 leads that you know higher in your space. So the way that, that we work at Develop, we're inch wide, mile deep. So mm-hmm pure market specialists. So we should know everyone that hires in our space naturally because that's all we do on a day in, day out basis. So yeah, what I want to see from people is that we've got at least a list of 40 with numbers that we've had some sort of digital touch point with, whether that's a connection on LinkedIn, an invite to our, we do a lot of events at Wembley and, you know, whether it's podcast sessions or it's um, added value with salary benchmarking, something for us to go and follow up. Mm-hmm. And then, right, we're going we're gonna to attack that list during that that sprint okay so yeah it's got to be that if you're going into a business development sprint not knowing who you're going to call not having numbers against anyone to speak to or Mm. anything to follow up you're not you're not going to have a great sprint (laughs) and then like just curious then on these bd sprints like what's the context of the phone call like i know it will vary but like typically like if i've got all that Mm -hmm. that you just described Mm -hmm. So you said they're the they're companies that are hiring, did you say, typically? Yeah, typically. I think also we want to be engaging with people that work in our space. Like even if there's a .NET engineering manager that isn't necessarily hiring right now, I still want to speak to them. I still want to understand what their plans are looking like for projects and mm. hiring and what their biggest challenges have been. It's a massive relationship game. Yeah, of we course. Do. So being able to call people and not just... Like we don't want to just call them and, and talk to them about candidates all the time. That's what I mean. Yeah, is yeah. that what's t- is that typically what's happening? Is that like because it's a mixture? It depends mm. on the the quality of your lead, right? If you know that someone's hiring, you've got information that that person is looking and they're they're struggling. Mm. Yeah, I might want to speak to them about a candidate, but most of the time it's like, how can I add value to your process? What are you not getting from your current suppliers or recruitment mm. re- recruitment cycle at the moment or other methods? You know, so mm-hmm. like it's a bit of a fact find really for that first call. But if I've already spoken to him and I've already kind of found that stuff out, I'm starting to open up conversations about projects and mm-hmm. timelines and, you know, all that good stuff as well as the opportunity to try and get these people face to face. And then what about, I feel like then what about the like, okay, so the prep's absolutely fundamental. Yeah. If you don't do the prep, you're going to struggle to, you know, be productive in any sprint or whatever you do. But then what about making time to reflect on how that sprint's been? I run surgery sessions with the guy. So I basically, I dedicate at least an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon for people to bring calls to me or certain situations to me to say, do you know what? I'd like to listen to this because I don't think this was a great call and Mm. I'd like to analyse it and let's talk about it. 
I think that's really important for improvement because you don't know what you don't know at early <laughs> stages of your career, right? And you know, if people don't tell you you're doing something, doing something wrong, or you could change some sort of terminology or the way that you ask things, you're just going to continue doing it and it, and then kind of expecting different results. Mm. So yeah, that's super important for people to do a lot of self-reflection. And I think, you know, one of our values is commitment to constant learning. So we invest a huge amount into the people that mm -hmm. we bring in. And like, even now, like, you know, eight years into my career, I still get weekly training with head of L&D and the directors. And obviously you mentioned Trev with, mm. with Trev. He's, he's done some brilliant work with us. So yeah, I think it's, it's that self-analysis piece and self-awareness piece is so, so important. Yeah. If you don't have that, I think you can never really kind of, you can't break from being, getting to a certain level. Mm. You get, you'll probably hit a peak. And then if you're not willing to take criticism or look at your own performance and think about what you can improve, you're never going to get to that next level. So, Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. So sprints then are pretty key. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're a firm believer of sprints. I'm, I'm sure there's people out there that are doing it different ways and it, and it works for them. But I think a lot of people have almost gone the complete opposite way of like, look, Rob, you're an adult, you know, you, you crack on, but like the, the most common area that we find recruiters score themselves lowest in when they're looking at like what they need help in training is time management productivity. Yeah. 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 And I actually think there's just a lot to be said to like provide Rob the recruiter with structure. Like yeah. I actually think that you're actually giving Rob the actual best chance of actually being successful by providing him with that structure to work around. Yeah, and it's really easy to hold people accountable for stuff when mm. that's happening, you know. There's guys in my team that I know that get frustrated because they want to book an interview as soon as something comes through and I'm like, no, no, that can wait. <laughs> Let's do it. It's, that interview's not until the end of the week. Let's carry on with our sprint because in a lot of situations, unfortunately, if you're competing against other recruiters, it's um, it can be fastest finger first. Mm -hmm. I hate that it is. And like we hate to have those kind of mm. relationships, but I'd be lying to say that if we didn't. Mm -hmm. Like ultimately I want to have exclusive retained relationships so that we can do as much due diligence on people behind the scenes. So clients feel like we've got, they've got a real sort of added value service. But you know, when you're first, when you first won a new business and they've, you know, we're not naive to the fact they're going to have recruitment relationships in place already. You need to work quickly. Yeah, and it's so, back on. Yeah. And then just final thing then, what's the rule during sprint that like what's the rule that is like you can only do something that isn't the sprint activity unless this it's only related to money so if okay. it's like right okay we've got you know there's an offer that's come through that we need to we need to get closed and we know we're up against it with other offers or you know we've got to deal with counter offer situations or something like that so okay. it's only typically revenue related that we would break the sprint so you said to me five key clients in recruitment and you've made it mm -hmm. yeah I, you know, I believe that five key clients that hire from you every single month mm -hmm. to earn well in recruitment. In tech, right, our average order value is 11 grand in the UK. Mm -hmm. You do two or three placements a month. Good spot. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're winning, aren't you, really? How have you got your five? Well, I've been doing this eight years. So <laughs> like, I'd be disappointed if it was less than five at that, that time. But like, yeah, what? let's yeah, break down. Think, let's. But I do really like that because, again, what we're doing here is no, we're making it straightforward and simple. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it, like yeah, you yeah. said. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, you know, it can be particularly for recruiters that work in a 360 environment, which mm. is a lot of recruiters. Yeah. Like, you can think, I need all these clients, or like, how am I going to get to the 300, 400, 500 grand mark? Mm. But I think, you know, keeping it really simple, well, actually, if you really work towards having five key, key clients, mm -hmm. where your average deal size is X, mm -hmm. 
and you do two free a month, like you're going to be in a really strong position. Yeah. So like, I think that's what I really, what I like about that as well. And it's a good way to think about things. Yeah. Because I'm sure you have your team with this. So how do we get to that point of having those five key clients? What's, what's fundamental? What are the principles to get in there? BD first mentality all the time, right? You've always got to be, new client acquisition is so important. You've got to be going out there and, and speaking to people that hire in your space all the time. I think there's a tendency that sometimes people land big accounts and then they just flip into delivery mode and it's mm. like, you know, everything's sweet. I've got all these jobs, but you know, I've had it happen to me. I've got complacent with it and had a big account and they turn the tap off and you're back to, to nothing and you need to, uh, you need to go back out and win business from from scratch again. So I think spinning that plate all the time is, is it's a new business always. Yeah, that new business mentality. Yeah, new business mentality. But like I think for actually winning the business, a really structured, like I said, methodology first style to both candidates and clients. Um, we know that typically clients don't buy from you until at least nine or ten points of contact. Most mm-hmm. recruiters stop at two or three, and I think it's it's mixing it up. So it's not just right, I'm calling that person all the time and they're getting frustrated. I'm looking at ways that I can actually add value to what they're doing. So, you know, if I know they're hiring right now, I might send them a great candidate, but I might also talk to them about what their competitors might be doing or to attract top talent or what benchmarking might they need for their new recruitment plans. And But yeah, again, I think it's a massive relationship game. I think over that time, I've spent a lot of time fostering those relationships and becoming friends with these people that I work with and they trust me to to deliver. Like, you've got to get that opportunity, right? Once you've delivered once, it's then, right, okay, I know I'm in, I'm in a good place here. I can start building mm-hmm. this. But then it's like, I actually want to get to know these people outside of, of what they do in work. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that unless you're willing to put the time in. Like, you can't do that in a nine-to-five day. It's actually, right, I'm going to spend time with these people on the weekends and... Um, like constantly speaking to them and stuff that isn't just necessarily focused around recruitment as well, knowing what's going on in their family lives and things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so always not getting complacent mm-hmm. with the new business activity. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. And then you said around like, yeah, like having methodologies, processes mm-hmm. um, that you can follow. Yeah. Then obviously you said really committing to build the relationship. Talk to me, because you've mentioned that a few times, uh, definitely as well when we like prepped for this. What, on the like new business side. Yeah. What are some of the methodologies, processes that you really stand by, that you really drill into the the team that you think really give you and your team the best chance of getting the outcomes that, that you want? We'll get right back into the conversation in a moment. But before we do, I wanted to tell you about one of our longtime podcast partners, Vincere. So ask yourself this, is your team feeling the effects of manual data entry and outdated processes. Relegate repetitive and monotonous tasks to Vincere, your all-in-one recruitment operating system. Imagine a few extra hands helping you sift through the busy work day in, day out. That's the benefit of Vincere's automation tools and features. From interview scheduling, automated templates, CV formatting, reporting, and more. You're going to reduce error rates, streamline compliance, and accelerate return on investment. It works like magic. And the best part, you keep morale high and productivity goes through the roof. Today's episode is kindly sponsored by Vincere, the top-rated recruitment software by TrustRadius in 2023. You get an exclusive offer for listening to this podcast, which is 10% off the user price. 
reach out to the team and arrange a quick demo or use a link in the show notes to book an exploratory call and get your hands on that exclusive offer and start using great tools within their all-in-one platform like automation. Firstly, the database is your friend. So the quality of the work that goes into the database and the information that goes in there is so, so important. Mm. I've seen people use a database like a spreadsheet or, you know, the notes are just like, I don't know, you just can't even decipher them. You need the Enigma machine to like decipher some of these notes. But like um, notes are your friend, right? When you spend that time speaking to clients, understanding what their challenges are and their needs and also who they are as people, you can come back to that because people are going to relate to that, right? They, they want to know that you've listened. Listening is such a big part of, of what we do. So that's so important first, making sure that your, your notes and the quality of the work that goes in there is great. I think having good processes with your database are important. So we use Bullhorn, so hot lists and regularly using them to create and form our BD lists. We use a lot of sort of different recruitment technology to set up campaigns as well for outreach and then mixing mixing up the outreach and we've just got a step-by-step guide for everyone that works to develop so you pull some information as to someone is hiring give that person a call straight away first thing to understand where they are with it if you haven't heard back then digital touch point of some sort linkedin connection requests call mm-hmm. digital touch point invite to invite to a, a networking event and yeah, I know like we started to develop Ambition Podcast, which is like essentially, you know, similar to this, where mm. it's bringing on people that are thought leaders or CEOs of companies to talk about their challenges. And I think that other stuff like that, it just raises awareness for brands. And it's interesting for, for people like that. It's maybe something different that they're not hearing from other people because let's have it right. If there's thousands of recruiters out there that are probably doing the same thing. So you have to differentiate mm. yourself. So I love that. Database is your friend. And then, as you said, I'm really committing to that. Yeah. And then also, as you said, yeah, you're talking about having a multi-channel approach, having yeah. a system that you can follow. Yeah. Once someone, yeah, a company meets certain requirements, you then, you know, have them go through that system. And, it, yeah, it's a systemized approach that just makes business development uh, just way more easier, right? Yeah. You can measure it, you can improve it. So just curious then, speak to a lot of people at the moment who... Like I'd say one of the common challenges that I uh, continue to hear from recruiters is just winning like better quality business Mm -hmm. with more committed clients. Yeah. What are your methodologies and processes around that? Do you think that which hopefully produces outcomes of clients willing to, you know, give you time, give you the commitment that you need, just better quality business? Yeah, I think that comes down, massively comes down to the qualification and your the open questions that you're asking during that to try and find out what the challenges have been Mm. and how their other methods are working so far and and then we we use that against uh, something that we call a job qualification matrix so we look at that to grade our jobs so that we're able to prioritize our work obviously there's um right now it's it's uh we're coming off the back of one of the best years in recruitment ever and i think the commitment from clients wasn't what it was mm. last year because naturally there's more candidates available and other methods are working and all that kind of stuff so we've got to positively challenge people but I think what typically happens is when you first engage with businesses like that where it's like you don't feel like you've got that commitment you know you work hard to to get good people into the pipeline but sometimes they almost need to they almost need to need to lose a candidate that they they were really excited about for them to change Um, really yeah I think so um change what though to change their processes. So if it's like, right, okay, for example, we've got a client that 
they do four or five stage interview process or something like that. Mm. You know, we would advise them at the beginning of that process, look, that's too long. You're going to miss out on candidates. Even at this stage, we're still working with candidates that might have three, four, five other opportunities on the table. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, four or five stage process is going to take three to four weeks, you're going to miss out on that candidate. You know, often it's like, okay, well, if we miss out, we miss out. It's not until they have that pain factor of like, I really wanted to hire that person. (laughs) And then they lose out that you, you can then kind of almost start to, begin to educate people a little bit Mm -hmm. but every client's different I think we I know one of my one of my guys engaged with a brilliant new client recently and their perception of themselves was that they were quite difficult client to please that the hiring manager had high expectations and you know their process was lengthy but actually they're one of the better processes that we've worked with in a long time and we've done six placements in four weeks with them where other recruitment companies haven't been able to have that success with them so we spoke about it a lot in his MBR actually um, Mm. this week and he was kind of surprised that it's gone as well as it has done but I was like you know I feel like that's just down to having good structure and the fact that you only work in this space the other the other agencies Mm. that they're partnering with are more generalistic. They don't have the network that you have or know what they're looking for. So what makes an A job? Exclusivity, mm-hmm. great salary, quick processes, great technology, great benefits and good people. When we speak to candidates, you ask them what the most important thing is. Obviously everyone talks about money and, and technology and all that kind of stuff. But I think ultimately the biggest thing that people buy into is the person they're going to work for. Mm-hmm. So if you're qualifying a qualifying a new job from someone and you feel like I'm struggling to see how someone might buy into this person, it's going to be difficult for you to, to really sell that role or get someone past processes when you've got other companies. The modern way of looking at it now is that interviewing is a two-way street. Mm-hmm. Candidates are interviewing clients, clients are interviewing candidates, and there's still companies out there that aren't doing it in that way. Mm. Like people should want to work for us. It's just not, not the right not mentality. Way. No, not the right mentality. And then, what are the most common levers you found that either yourself or your team have had to pull to take jobs from the B to C to A? If they tick the box of like the person, because you can't really control that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, what are the typical things that you can change interview processes? And we do a lot of work around. The added value piece for us is important because we offer technical testing solutions to all of our clients. It's worked really well, particularly with smaller brands that maybe have. So had what does that mean? You you take the you you do that mm-hmm. on behalf of them. Yeah, so we we um we pay for a technology suite to be able to technically test, which sends a full report to the client and the candidate for them to use. And it's been great. It's um we did a lot of work over COVID where we asked engineering managers, "What's your biggest?" gripe with working with your agency partners and the biggest thing was having someone that looks amazing on paper and then they come in and they just they just aren't as good as as what they're expecting like so being able to do that extra due diligence it's reduced the amount of cvs that we send but it's massively increased our cv to interview and interview to placement ratio mm. but also like you know we can, we have to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt because some people will present themselves better depending on how they like to be tested, whether that's a take-home test or it's multiple choice, the theory or paired program or whatever it is. So we have to play to the candidate's strengths to give them the best foot forward as well. But I think just adding these extra things in has been able to uh, to reduce processes, which would move something from a B to an A grade, right. grade job. If you're, if you're reducing a process from five stages to two, 
you know that your lead time is coming down by one or two weeks, which mm. means that you're in a much better place to be able to get candidates through the process in a competitive market. Salary is always one, isn't it? If we're looking for a mid-level engineer and they're only willing to pay 35 and they increase that to 45 or 50, I know that my candidate pool drastically improves. Mm. Yeah, there's some like real basic stuff that we can educate clients on. As if they're willing to listen is yeah, what is yeah. going to move it. Yeah, and those are the relationships that you want to try and foster, right, is people that are open to it. And I think we set our stall out pretty well in the in qualifications and, and new business pitches that we're not yes people. We will challenge you positively if we think what you're doing isn't right. And if it's, for example, a role has been live for six months, it's probably not the, <laughs> it's probably not the agencies that you're working with or the other methods. There's some problem that's happening with you and we mm. need to dig into that to find out what that is. Just curious, and just for the the technical people out there that operate in similar markets, mm-hmm. like just curious. So I think that's super innovative. That in terms of finding out that that's a real pain and taking on that challenge. So are you saying typically then would you get candidates to do that before you submit them to an interview? Yeah, yeah. Like first stage interview, you do that before. It depends on what the client wants us to run in the right. process. You know, I, I think we come to an agreement based on what we feel is going to work. For both parties. What we don't want to do is elongate the process. If they're like, look, use your technical testing and then we've got a take-home test that's five hours long. And I'm like, we can't double test this <laughs> this candidate. Like, So, yeah, I mean, ideally, yes, we'd like to test people first. We know that it's not always going to be the way of doing it, but we're super thorough in our qualification process and when we speak to people and the fact like everyone in the business at Develop learns to code. So mm-hmm. we feel like we've got a good handle on our markets and able to properly dig into what people's experience is rather than just being like, right, okay, I'm looking for .NET, control F on a CV and see what I can find and see those yeah, keywords. Yeah. So, so do you, do you, like, you don't have to give us like the exact details unless you're happy to, but like, what would that cost? Like, How much does it cost per test out of interest? Is it expensive on average? I think people would be curious on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, to be fair. Because oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's through our operations team. Okay. I, I know that it's a big expense to the business and I know that like... You know, Joe and Kev give us all the tools that we need to make sure yeah. that... Because I think people would be curious about that. Like, yeah, oh, I wonder yeah. like, how much it is to, to do that, you know? I know there's options out there for being able to create free tests and things like that. And then, you know, there's loads of different testing providers. Codility seems to be one that a lot of clients are keen on using at the moment. We mm-hmm. worked with a couple of companies that built tests for some of our clients as well. So there's lots of different... But yeah, it's going to cost you money, but is a great added value pitch to take to new people. Yeah, no, I like it. When you're speaking to, to new businesses and they ask what you're doing that's different, mm. it's something that sort that does differentiate us. Mm. So just curious then, like your market must be so competitive. Yeah. So you've mentioned a few things, podcast, you know, salary yeah. surveys, this yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. How have you and how do you help your team like genuinely like stand out and like be perceived as not just another tech recruiter because I feel like correct me if I'm wrong but obviously .NET as well specifically that's going to be even more competitive yeah it's super competitive um, you've done that for eight years I love it <laughs> <laughs> but like how have you how have you like continuously remained do you know what I mean relevant stood out yeah. different because that's hard A real quick one from me, and we'll get straight back into the conversation. Some of you may or may not be aware that I'm also the founder of a business called Hector. 
Hector is an all-in-one training platform for recruitment founders to maximize team performance. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is because if you are someone that is enjoying this podcast week after week, you might even share this podcast with your colleagues, then I'd love to connect with you. Our training platform is powered by top performers delivering practical training for today's market. We believe training a lot of the time in the recruitment industry is dated, is stale, is delivered by people that did it 5, 10, 15 years ago. And we are completely going against that. So a lot of the people that you're able to learn on this podcast, you're able to learn even more from at Hector. So if you'd love to you know, find out more about how we could potentially help you get more out of your people, ramp up their performance more quickly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn or click the link in the show notes where you'll be able to book a call with us. Let's get straight back into the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely is. And I think, like I said, the coding piece that we're doing, I think is a genuine USP. I don't know many other recruitment companies that pay for Udemy and Pluralsight licenses for their consultants to learn to code. We always say to people that, you know, you know you're not going to want to hire me right now based on my code super messy, but like it just enables us to engage with our market on a, on a deeper level. And I think like when I started, I started punching out code on LinkedIn and screenshots and stuff like that. And I had CTOs that I've been trying to engage with for a year coming to me or like lead developers to come into me and saying, you know, you could do this, you could change that. Have you thought about these different principles? Do you want to do a pairing session? So like all that kind of stuff just kind of shows that you can go in and say you're a specialist in this space. And I think that's really difficult, isn't it? Because everyone that kind of gets into recruitment, they're told immediately to put, right, day one, you're a specialist.net recruitment yeah. and uh, fake it till you make it, basically. Mm -hmm. But you can't, you generally can't be a specialist until you've spent time understanding exactly what you recruit in, what that's designed to do. Um, How so long do you think that takes? What's the stat? Is it a thousand, thousand hours before, oh, right, you, yeah. before you become an expert? If you break that down, like based on the amount on the working week and you're an expert within a year, according to that stat, but I think you can learn really good recruitment principles within that time, but learning technology, it's, some of these people are doing it for five, 10, 15 years before they're mm. sort of really experienced people. So you can't underestimate it. But I think I used to spend like in my first year, I just picked a topic every week that I wanted to learn about and I'd speak to one candidate or client about it and then I would take that information into my next call. So for example, like at the time when I first saw MVC was a, a framework that was um yeah, it was it was really hot. So I was like, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask people about the, what's good about it, what the challenges are and and then I just take it into new conversations and it just you know, open like technology like Engineers want to speak about technology and new things that are happening. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're consistently getting involved in those kind of markets and and have a passion for it, I think people yeah, I like might that. that. Just had taken one thing each week. I think that's good. that's that's really practical advice. Yeah, for yeah. People. Yeah, I mean, it definitely helps you. You build your knowledge base really quickly, and I think it's really easy in your early stages of your recruitment career to lose credibility if you say the name of a technology or a framework wrong. Yeah, people people won't buy into you. So being able to have that that sort of in-depth technical conversation with people differentiates us. I think it's a lot down to the person as well. Like I feel like our business, we probably take a bit of a gentler approach to selling. I like to think of it as an experience. I want everyone to have a brilliant experience with me. So sometimes it takes a bit of time for people to uh, give us that opportunity. But if you're persistent with it, mm. get the opportunity and then you've just got to work and graft to make sure that that person has a brilliant experience. 
how have you made sure that you don't get complacent? Because I've spoken to a lot of people that, you know, they have on their goal sheet in big capital letters on and become the top performer. Yeah. They get there and they really struggle to then, you know, then like continue on that path. It's mm. way more easier like chasing that than like retaining it. I've just found when speaking to people, you've continued to go in that positive direction. Mm. But like, yeah, how have you maintained that personally? I think it's really difficult to get complacent in recruitment. If you do, you fall on your face pretty quickly. Um, even now, like I've I've had situations where I've been blindsided in certain things, and I think, you know, I've I'm eight years in now. I should know this, but I've still dropped a ball somewhere, and then it's like, right, okay, I need to learn from that and sharpen my tool set in that area. So, I think it's. I'm, I'm super fortunate to work for a business that invests so much in its people. That's the key to not getting complacent is that commitment to learning all the time. I think even, you know, you could be the, you could be doing recruitment for 20, 30 years and be the best biller ever. You've still got something that you could work on and improve. And that's the, that's the beauty of the industry. Like you're always, although it can feel sometimes it's a bit mundane and what we do is quite simple, really. There's always going to be different nuances or, different situations that kind of humble you a little bit which mm. is um which makes it really difficult i think to to be complacent but you've got to have that drive to want to be at the top i'm like i'm not a um super materialistic person but i'm pretty competitive like <laughs> i'm not top performer this year and this is that's the first time it's going to be like that obviously I've been in the team. yeah 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 so uh tom gallier i'm coming for you <laughs> <laughs> so uh, like just in, interested because i meet these people or because I speak to companies about training these things. Yeah. How do you approach communicating, dealing with people who are maybe three, four years in? They might have been a top performer, mm. or you know, might put some you know really good performances yeah. in, and you've just got that. They've got that sense of like I've completed recruitment, or mm. Rob, I know what I'm fucking doing, mate. Because I'm sure you've had to navigate oh, yeah. with people like that, and like this is like for everyone listening this is like one of the most common things i always find in people that have been in recruitment for a long time have been a consistent top performer is like mm. the way that you're describing your learning that you're yeah. always open to it it's continuous learning yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's that's absolutely the mindset that you have to have yeah but there's people out there that think that they know best and think that they mm-hmm. like why would i learn from rob or like why am i going to learn from this person they haven't been doing it as long as me like yeah. how have you navigate approach that with people it's really difficult it's person to person isn't it and it, it kind of depends on there's a massive ego piece, isn't there? And mm. confidence piece that you find typically with top billers and people that are performing at a high level. I think it's, I've always just dealt with it by offering, like I've been in a fortunate position that no one's outbilled me for eight years in the business. So mm. if anyone they should listen to. <laughs> should be me. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not um, completely closed off to the fact that I'm not perfect either and that there people will be doing different things that are having lots of different success. Mm. So I think being open to taking criticism from people that are below me kind of breaks down those barriers mm. to be able to have those kind of conversations. But I spend a lot of time, even with my top billers, just offering coaching advice and spending time listening to calls and looking at stuff so, to see that they can improve. And I think people will buy into you if they know that you're looking to help them improve and help them earn more money. Mm. Like if they're not open to that, all for them really, isn't it? But mm. it's just, yeah, it's, it, that's a difficult one to deal with, I think. I've definitely managed people that kind of feel like they, they've been very good recruiters, but still stuff to learn. I think you've kind of almost got to force that, force those coaching sessions on them and, mm. and bring things to their attention that they, they maybe didn't realise that they were doing. So as you get to the, the end of this year then, 
Yeah. Like we're saying earlier, you know, it's been difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. What are you being, you know, you're big into your sprints, focus, yeah. productivity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are you and the team, you know, for the remainder of this year, remaining laser focused on? New client acquisition mm. is still a massive thing for us. I want us to be able to um, to build out the team so that we can cover every specialism. That's the way that we're set up at the moment is that we have specialists for both .NET, Java, JavaScript, PHP, Python, and then I have a, a small delivery function that kind of picks up all niche, more niche skill sets. But I'd like to open up new markets. But ultimately, we just need to get the get the team back on track. It's, I feel like it's been a difficult year for mm. a lot of people in recruitment after that sort of crazy year we had last year. And it's, again, the focus on customer first, customer having a brilliant experience with with us, both clients and candidates. We implemented um, Net Promoter Score recently. So our, our big focus as a business is to uh, to make sure that our Net Promoter Score is everyone is uh, is a promoter of our business and everyone has a brilliant experience. And I think that's just sharpening our processes even more. Mm. So yeah, customer experience. Love it. Rob, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope there were plenty of golden nuggets for you to take away. As you'll know, I'm your host here of the Recruitment Mentors podcast, but I'm also the founder of Recruitment Mentors. We're a online subscription-based learning and education platform. We're on a mission to help thousands of recruiters achieve their professional goals and successfully progress their careers through modern and engaging online learning. If you're a recruitment business owner listening to this, there's a good chance that you value self-development, personal development. You're trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement. But we've partnered with a number of grown recruitment companies who were struggling to understand how they can invest more in their people, how they can upskill them more quickly without spending more time, without having to spend thousands of pounds of external trainers. And we've ended up being a really great fit, modern fit for recruitment teams. We can ultimately help you get more out of your teams by giving your people access to modern and engaging online learning, which they can access on demand. The thing that's really cool about what we're doing at Recruitment Mentors is that all of the people that your teams are able to learn from and the people that are delivering the learning content are people that are in role right now. They're billing, they're actively facing the challenges that your teams are, and a lot of the time they're amongst the top performers within their companies, which means your teams are going to be way more confident to learn and spend time on their learning when they know they're learning from people that are doing it right now, have been there and done it. It's nothing worse than feeling like training is not relevant and not current. The best place to find out more about Recruitment Mentors and if we can help you accelerate your team's performance is uh, send me a message on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn directly and I'd love to connect with you and, and find out if we can help you get more out of your people.